It's kind of interesting. Uh, back in September, our pastor listed out kind of his vacation schedule of I'm going to be gone a Sunday in September, gone a Sunday in October, and gone a Sunday in November. And would you be willing to preach on those Sundays? And so back in September, uh, God led me to, let's do a three-part series in James. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of review because that's I like to do review. Uh, I don't know, that must be the teacher in me because we learn more when we review. At least we remember a little better when we review. So back in September, we were doing a comparison between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And back in September, we looked at the difference of earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom when it comes to our relationships with others. Remember, earthly wisdom is rooted in selfishness, and it leads to conflict, conflict that we have within ourselves, conflict we end up having with other people, and eventually conflict we have with God. Whereas heavenly wisdom is rooted in grace, and when we experience God's grace, and then in our relationships with other people, we show God's grace in those relationships. Back in October, we looked at heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom in regards to our plans. Our plans, again, earthly wisdom is rooted in selfishness. It, it has its heart of arrogance that this is my life. I'm going to live my life this way. This is the way I'm going to do things. Whereas heavenly wisdom is rooted in Seeking, hearing, and doing God's will. And the key verse was or James 4, 17. It says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So actually following this and being flexible enough that this is what God wants me to do. It may not be what I had planned out, laid out, but this is what God wants me to do. I'm not going to be obedient, and I'm going to do that. Well, this morning, interesting how God works. We're going to be comparing earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom when it comes to trials. When it comes to trials in our life. You know, trials come in a lot of different degrees. A lot of different areas. Uh, sometimes we're in the middle of a project at home and something like this happens to us and we experience a trial. Go ahead, Matt. And this was not my kitchen remodeling project, but we experienced that trial, you know. That, that person was doing a project up in the attic, and they fell through the, the, the roof. Sometimes we have trials that are poor decisions that we make at work. I'm reminded of the, uh, it's an older story, but uh, one worth repeating about a, a workman's comp claim. And there was a guy that put, I was a bricklayer by trade on the day of the accident, I was working alone on a roof that was six stories high. When I completed the work, I discovered that there were about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry down those bricks, I decided to lower them using a barrel and a pulley that was left there on the side of the building. Securing the rope to the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went back to the ground and slowly untied the rope holding tight to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block 11 of the claim that I only weigh 135 pounds. Due to my surprise of being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost the presence of mind and I forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded up at a rather quick rate. 
In the vicinity of about the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fracture to my skull and my broken collarbone. Slowly, slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by that time, I had regained my presence of mind and I was able to hold on to the rope despite the pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I point you back to column 11 of the report. As you imagine, I began to descend down at a rapid speed. In the vicinity of the floored floor again, I met the barrel coming back up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, the lacerations on my leg and my lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. Fortunately, only three of my vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry, however, to report that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to move, watching the barrel six stories above, I again lost my presence of mind, and I let go of the rope. I hope we've never had that type of bad day at work, but uh, very interesting, huh? You know, trials, they can come from work. They can come from physical ailments ailments that we have. They can be caused by relationships with other people. The point is, is that we all face trials. They vary in degree, but we all face them. And the question is, how do we respond when trials come? Do we have earthly wisdom or do we have heavenly wisdom? Trials interrupt the ideal life that we feel we should have or we feel we deserve to have. So our natural earthly wisdom is a need to fix it, to bring life back to ourselves. And so we apply earthly CPR to our trial. And that's going to be the acronym. So boys and girls, on the back of the bulletin, there's an outline. So you can use the, the letter CPR. There's going to be earthly wisdom CPR and heavenly wisdom CPR. So, and, and, and when we get to earthly wisdom... I'm not going to use a lot of scripture text to support the earthly wisdom because I'm going to be honest with you. The earthly wisdom comes a lot from the things I do when I face trials. The earthly wisdom that I apply to trials when I face trials. And I think as I go through them, you're going to kind of see, oh yeah, you know what, I do the same thing. It comes natural for us to want to apply earthly wisdom to trials. The first thing is we complain about it. We complain about the trial. That's letter C. We complain about the trial that we're going through. And by complaining, I, I'm going to use the word the woe is me syndrome. The woe is me syndrome. I can't believe this is happening. Why me, Lord? For some, it's the social media post of choice. This isn't fair. This is what's going on. I, and in my heart, I, I'm posting it not because I want people to pray for me, not because I want counsel, but because I'm seeking attention. 
Now there is that heart line between sharing things so your brothers and sisters can pray for you, so you can bear one another's burdens. But there is also where, if we're honest, a lot of times when we begin to complain about something, it's not for that prayer and counsel. It's for that attention. It's for sometimes, especially if the trial's with with another person, it's to make that other person look bad. And so we apply this earthly wisdom when we go through these trials that we complain about things. One of the dangers, I'm not going to use the word danger, that's probably not a bad word, but every time I begin to complain, the Holy Spirit brings a verse to mind that I memorized many, many years ago. And it's Philippians 2, 13 through 14. Do all things without complaining and arguing. And here's the key, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in this world. And so as we go through trials, and when we choose not to complain about it, we can begin become a very bright light shining in this dark world for the power and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that verse, every time I start to complain, every time I want to complain, the Holy Spirit just brings that verse back to me. Like, oh man. But it's great too. Because God speaks through his word. So, first earthly wisdom that we do is we complain about the trial, the situation. And, and, I mean, even as, as a uh, world, we're going through trial right now with the COVID-19. And it's very easy for me to fall into this category of just complaining about it. Instead of being that light in this dark world. And this is an opportunity God has given me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. Second thing that we do a lot of times when we go through trials is we pursue comfort. We pursue comfort. Trials are uncomfortable. Which leads us to naturally pursue something that's going to bring comfort. Earthly wisdom tells us then to seek comfort in the things of the flesh. And these vary for each one of us. For some... They turn to the bottle as they go through trials. Some go through substance abuse. For others of us, it's wasting the day doing a TV binge watch of my favorite program, eight, ten hours a day. For others of us, it's food. Boy, isn't there comfort in eating a whole quart of chocolate ice cream? For others, there's a sexual sin that can happen. And while all vary in regards to what we pursue as we go through trials for comfort, while they all vary, most of them do a couple things. They provide short-term comfort, right? Eating that that quart of chocolate ice cream provides a short-term comfort. But... In the end, it leads to regret. It leads to emptiness. 
and sometimes even their negative consequences of our pursuit of comfort. So we complain about it, we pursue comfort. The final thing that happens um, in trials can lead to verbal assault on others. In James chapter 5, it says, grudge not one against another, brethren. We're we're told not to grudge against another. I mean, stop and think about it. Have you ever went through a trial at work? You've had a rough day. It's been very trying. And that trial then, when we come home, we take it out on our spouse. We take it out on our kid. That's an, an attack, a relentless assault. We verbally say something to our spouse that we shouldn't say. Because we're going through the trials. You ever had a trial with somebody? And you verbally attack them? Maybe it's by spreading rumors. Maybe it's by name calling. Maybe it's by gossip. Even seeking comfort in the things of the world. The things that we pursue comfort from. We pursue those comforts. And then in guilt, we lash out at another person to ease our conviction and shift the blame. So, as God's convicted me because I'm going through this trial, because I pursued this comfort, because, man, I feel guilty for eating that whole gallon of ice cream, which I was not supposed to eat. It was a sin. And because of that, then, instead of dealing with the sin, dealing with the Holy Spirit working in my life, I begin to, I'm going to find somebody else. I'm going to point out their sin, and I'm going to lash out at them. So I don't have to deal with it in my life. In its, in its pursuit to bring back life, earthly wisdom does the opposite. It leads to a deeper selfishness. It leads to addictions. It leads to severed relationships. It leads to the trial defining who we are. It leads to the trial even destroying us. So, what about heavenly wisdom? That's earthly wisdom, which they come very naturally. It's very easy to complain. It's very easy to pursue comfort. And it's very easy to relentlessly attack other people in our lives. What about heavenly wisdom? Well, remember, James's target audience were the believers that were scattered abroad due to persecution. So they understood trials. In James chapter 1, verse 19, he tells them, you need to be slow to, slow to speak, but quick to hear. Slow to wrath. In James 3, he devote, devotes the whole chapter to what comes out of their mouth. You know what? You bless God, but then you also curse men, which are made after the image of God. These things should not be. In James chapter 4, he says, where do fighting and wars come among you? Don't they come hence, even of your own lust that warn your members? So, so they are facing trials with other people. They are facing trials from the outside persecution that they're uh, facing. As a matter of fact, in James 5, 4, it talks about, you know, that uh, some of where they're working, the things that they're doing, that their bad business practices are going on, and they're receiving trials, persecution from that. And so James says, here it is. Here's heavenly wisdom when it comes to trials. Here's what you need to be doing, believers in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he states the very first thing in the second verse. 
After he introduces who he is, hey, I'm James, servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. All right? I'm the half-brother of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of God to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Here it is. This is what you need to be doing. First, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brother, when you go into diverse or various trials. So what's this look like? Does it mean we go, yippee, my marriage is totally screwed up. Yippee, I'm going through this trial. Is that what it looks like? Teens, yippee, my relationship with mom and dad is awful. Yippee. Is that what we do? Work is going bad. Yes. Been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Yes. Is that what it means? No. Trials are not a joy to go through. But he tells us to count it all joy. Count it all joy. That word count is an accounting term. What it means to evaluate, to calculate, to add up, to stop, and to consider. Philip Yancey in his book, Where is God When It Hurts, put this this way. Rejoicing in suffering doesn't mean that we should be happy about the tragedy and the pain when we really feel like crying or we feel like we're falling apart. The Bible focuses on the end result, how God can use suffering in our lives. But before he can use it, he needs us to trust him. That process of giving him that commitment of trust can be described in rejoicing. When we begin to add up, when we begin to count, the counting is not on the trial, the counting on who our God is. See, it is in the trial that God reveals himself greater to us. We begin to see his sovereignty. We begin to see his goodness. Matter of fact, James tells us every good and every perfect gift comes from above. We experience his strength. We experience his comfort. We experience a peace that passes all understanding. And when we begin to count and add and calculate who our God is and how great our God is, then we can get to this point in our life that I am going to trust him and I am going to count it all joy as I go through trials. Second one, verse 3 of chapter 1, is patience. As we go through trials, heavenly wisdom says, count it all joy. Second thing is be patient in it. Verse 3 says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, it gives us three things that we can be patient as we go through trials. There are three reasons why we can be patient. And the first one is found in verses 7 and 8. And it is this, God is coming back. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruits of the earth, and have long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your heart, because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Christ is returning. It is a truth that will help us get through trials. It will truth that will help us be patient in trials. 
It is the mindset that it will be worth it all. What? When we see Jesus Christ. Satan would do everything he'd have to allow us to forget the truth that Christ is coming back. He wants to get our heart and our eyes off of this truth and get it focused on the trials that we're going through with earthly wisdom. He wants us to complain about it. He wants us to be comfort-seeking people. He wants us to destroy relationships. He wants us to have that earthly wisdom. But there is joy and there is comfort. And we can be patient because Christ is coming back. The second thing that we can have patience is because God is working. Verse 9, nine Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. There is a truth. And the truth is this, that God is working in all of our lives. Right now, God is working in my life. God is working in your life. Those who are home with us, God is working in your life. God is constantly working. And as we go through trials, don't lose hope because God is still working in those trials. You know, we are fully loved. We are fully accepted. But God loves us too much to leave us right where we're at. He wants to take us deeper in our relationship, deeper in our understanding of who He is. And it is through trials that he can work in us to build our confidence in who he is. It is through trials that he reveals more of who he is. Some trials that he breaks down idols that we have in our life. Those sins that, that we hold on to. Those roots that we have in our life. God is working. He's working in my life. He's working in your life. And sometimes our trials are with other people. Well, guess what? We need to be patient with those other people because God is working in their life. So don't grudge one against another. Brethren, resist the temptation to attack. Resist the temptation to judge. Resist the temptation to hold a grudge. And let patience have her perfect work. God is coming. God is working. And finally, God is faithful. We can be patient because God is faithful. Take my brother, verses 10 and 11. Take my brother and the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and full of tender mercy. As he's going through and as he's talking about patience, he brings about an Old Testament person that the Jewish believers would know. a matter of fact, I could probably, we'll, we'll do it right now. How many of you heard of the story of Job in the Bible? Go ahead. I, I, there are very, very few that probably would not raise their hand. And it would be the same way with who James was writing to, those Jewish believers. They have heard of the story of Job. But let's just kind of do a little bit of review. You know, regardless of what those Jewish believers were facing, the persecution they were experiencing, regardless of the relationship issues they were having with one another, regardless of the things that were going on with work. And even for us, regardless of the trials we are facing, 
And I know some of us are facing very deep, dark, severe trials. Regardless of that, Job has us beat, hands down. Because none of us have experienced a trial like Job experienced. Let me remind you, Job lost everything. He lost his job. He lost his livestock. He lost his servants. Matter of fact, he lost all his sons and his daughters. He lost everything. And it was just like that. And Job's response? Great verse. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. In joy, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Go to chapter 2. His health fades. He's kicked out of the city. He's covered in, I'm going to use the word, pus seeping boils. His wife, in her response to them having lost everything, including their kids, gives them some poor advice. You're still holding on to God? Curse God and die. His friends, while they're there to try to comfort and help support him, are convinced that he has this deep-rooted sin in their life. Job, come on, confess, Job. Job, come on, confess. We know there's something going on. And through all of it, Job remains patient. And then we get to the end of the book of Job. And we begin to see God, how faithful God is, how compassionate God is, how merciful God is. And God, in his faithfulness and his compassion and, he, and his mercy, he blesses Job doubly of what he had and his wealth. As a matter of fact, he blesses Job with seven sons and three daughters. I kind of always find it interesting. I haven't figured out why yet. But if you look at the end of that story, it talks about his three daughters. And he actually lists them by name. And it says his three daughters were the most beautiful in all the land. So I don't know if his other girls were really ugly or what. I don't know why it was put there, but it is put in Scripture. And I always find that very interesting. But God blessed Job with another 140 years, long life. And then there's one blessing that we are not going to know until we get to heaven. And it is this, what God blessed Job with in heaven because of his faithfulness. Something to think about. Man, he endured that trial, that testing. Man, what's going to be at the end? In uh, James chapter 1, verse 12, it tells, Blessed is the man that endures temptations, trials. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So it's interesting to see God is faithful. In the midst of trials, we can be patient because God is coming. We can be patient because God is working in all of us. And we can be patient because God is faithful. So we count it joy. We are patient. And then the final one is we run to prayer and we run to praise. Verse 14. Very, very simply. Is any among you afflicted, going through trials? What's he say? Let him pray. 
How many times as we go through and experience trials do we begin to let the worry and the fret begin to set into our life over the situation, over that trial that's going? Very interesting. Two weeks ago, the worship team made reference to Philippians chapter 4. Pastor referenced it last week. And it says this, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As worry begins, as we begin to go and our minds begin to focus on trials, we need to run to prayer and take it to the Lord in prayer. Something happens when we pray. Our hearts and our eyes get off the trial and our hearts and our eyes get on the Savior with who with gentleness and goodness and I don't even know how to explain it. A peace, a calming that he brings in a trial that allows us to endure. It's a peace that passes all understanding truly. He continues on with run to prayer. And he says, you know what? Get the church body involved in prayer. Call for the elders of the church, anointing them with oil. Let them pray over them. Don't you love our one call now system? We, ought to, we need to continue to pray for Rex. But that prayer, I know people were praying for Rex. And as of Friday night, he was doing better. I don't know if he's home yet or not. We're going to continue to pray for Rex. Praying for one another. Run to prayer as we go through trials. Run to prayer. Have the body of Christ praying for one another. Great to have times of prayer in your ABF classes. That you're praying for one another. You have friends, accountability partners that you're praying for one another. And he continues on. says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. The effectual, perfect prayer of a righteous man accomplishes a veil of much. Sometimes as we go through trials, it's a result of sin, and God reveals that sin, and we need to confess that and pray for forgiveness over that sin. We run to prayer, and as we run to prayer, it's going to lead to something else. Because we're counting it joy, because we're patient, because we're running to prayer, then we run to praise. We can sing the, the hymns, It Is Well, With My Soul. A little differently when we are counting it all joy, when we are patient, when we are praying. It is well. It brings on a whole new meaning. When trials come, we can choose to have earthly wisdom and let the trials define, let them destroy us. Or we can choose heavenly wisdom. And let this trial strengthen us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. And in God's strength, may we choose the latter. Because God is doing this. He is moving in our midst. He is working in this place. He is touching every heart. He is healing every heart. He is turning lives around. He is mending every heart. He is the way maker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 
even when we don't see that he's working, he what? He never stops working. Even when we don't feel that he's working, he never stops working. His name, his name is above depression. His name is above loneliness. His name is above disease. His name is above cancer. His name is above every name. His name is above every trial, every testing that we are going to face now, today, tomorrow. God is greater than all those things. And it is our God that we worship. And it is our God that we praise. And we can truly say what thanks be to God. Which gives us the victory, as we sung about earlier this morning, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team forward. We're going to close with Waymaker, and I'm going to have a word of prayer. God, we just stop. And we praise you, God, that we have victory through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. That as we face trials, as we go through testings, God, that you are greater than those, God. That you're working in our lives, Lord. That you're making us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, let us never lose hope, Lord. You are good, and you are great. And Father, we look forward to that day that we see you face to face. We hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for Jesus, for his name we pray. Amen. Would you come and sing with us, please? Thank you.